Well, I'm going to ask um, uh, if you have your Bibles this morning to open up to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number six. And uh, if you are in need of a Bible this morning, just simply raise your hand. As you raise your hand, one of our ushers will bring one to you. We are concluding our segment on we are the church and we've been looking at what it means to be the church instead of just coming to church. And we are shifting our mindset from simply the church as a place that we just come and assemble for an hour and a half, two hours. And if Pastor Joseph gets excited, maybe two and a half hours and then go back home and go back to the rest of our lives to a place where we gather together. We are encouraged in God. We are growing in God. We are getting to a place of maturity in God. And as we do all of these things that we begin to see, not only is transformation taking place in our individual lives, but transformation is taking place all around us. It should be that the church should be an agent of transformation here in the earth. Amen. Amen. And, and so when you come to church, uh, it somewhat should look a little bit like the Superman closet because you shouldn't come in and stay the same way. I mean, there should be a transformation that takes place where as you come to church, you're growing and you begin to see that, hey, uh, uh, parts about you are changing and transforming. And my prayer is that as you've come to Mars Hill Fellowship Church, identify that you transform in multiple ways and it results in us connecting to God connecting to our families and our community, connecting to our vocation, and connecting to the world in a meaningful way. And so when you come here, we're trying to teach you, how do you connect to all these multiple spheres or multiple arenas that God has called us into? And so as we close out and look at this last segment of what it means to be the church, We've been using this analogy of the church as uh, uh, basically the, the vine and the root, and it's growing. And we talked about being planted and uh, rooted in the church, meaning that you've developed some roots and you're not just, you know, on the top of the soil coming in when you can get some and, 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 and just being a part there. But you're grounding yourself. And then we also talked about this aspect of the marriage becoming not stop dating the church, but become married to the church. And that also means that, you know, uh, um, you're, you're in being married to the church, you're recognizing that part of the marriage comes the people of God. You can't be married to the church and say, I don't want to deal with those people. Uh, you can't be married to your spouse and say, I don't want to deal with the mother-in-law. Um, it does not work. Um, uh, uh, well, <laughs> some people have tried <laughs> and the marriage doesn't work. And so uh, recognizing this aspect of marriage. And then we talked about being watered by the word. And we talked last week about being transformed towards maturity. Um, so let's read this passage here in Galatians chapter number six. And uh, 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 starting at verse six to just give us context um, as we see here. And uh, this is a very familiar passage that many have uh, read before. And it talks about anyone who receives instruction. The word must share all good things with his instructor. And then verse number seven, it says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Verse number nine, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest 
if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's read verse number, excuse me, verse number 10 together here. And it's on the screen here. Let's read it together. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to gather together here today in your name. We thank you, Lord, that as you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, Lord, you've equipped us to be the church. And so, Father, we pray that even in this time that we learn and close out this aspect of learning what it means to be the church, Lord, that we will see what true transformation really looks like, both in the church and to the world. And Father, you would help us, Lord, to even consider... Lord, what we would need to do to allow your glory to shine, not only in the depths and in the places with those who are in the household of faith, but also to those who do not know you. Lord, we thank you for what we are not, would you make us? What we have not, would you give us? In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. I want to read uh, uh, this story here, and um, I, I took an excerpt from a recently uh, published book that came out here in March of 2012, and uh, this book is the Letters to, to the Church, and it's writing Letters to the Future Church, and a number of authors have collaborated and shared about, uh, uh, as they've written about what it would look like as, as they were writing letters uh, to these various churches. And it's called Bigger Banquet Tables. And this is by R- R- Rachel Held Evans. And it says, feeding people means keeping the hungry at arm's length. It means sending checks now and then, making Thanksgiving baskets once a year, preaching about justice and launching new ministries, all while sitting comfortably at the head of a tiny table, dropping scraps of our abundance to the floor. Americans are good at feeding people. But dining with people is an entirely different matter. Dining together means sitting next to one another and brushing arms, passing the bread basket and sharing the artichoke dip. It means double dipping and spilling drinks, laughing together and serving together, exchanging stories, ideas, recipes, and dreams. According to Jesus, It means leaving the seat at the head of the table ceremoniously empty so that all are guests of honor and all are hosts. Dining together isn't charity, it's friendship. Uh, as I read this quote, it, it really struck something in me and this notion of how easy it is to get in the notion or the aspect of feeding. And feeding in, this, uh, in the sense that we like to do good. And one of the things that we understand is that the church should do good. And many of us, when we think about the role of the church, we've approached it from an arm's length transaction or from a place where, hey, if I contribute to this particular ministry or if I go out one time a year or if I make this or if I do these different things, then I'm being a good Christian and I'm doing good deeds to all those people who uh, are in a dying world. But the author here begins to present this challenging picture What would it look like if simply beyond just writing check to an anonymous person, 
or simply just, you know, the scrap change that we have in our pocket. When someone asks, do you have any spare change? We just drop it by the bucket and not even look the person in their face. What would it look like if the church was active in building relationship, not only within our four walls, but with the whole world? You see, it would be difficult because it's okay when we can sit at the table and dine with those who are like-minded or we can dine with those who know the proper etiquette. But have you ever dined with a five-year-old? They don't quite know all the proper etiquette. They don't quite know that food belongs on the spoon and into your mouth, but they just see it's food. You get it any way you can into your mouth. And what would happen if we began to get in intimate places where those who don't do things the normal way that we know how to do them, those who don't act the same way that we know how to act, Instead of just at an arm's length transaction, we became engaged in their life, praying for them. Literally, when you say, I'll pray for you, you actually pray for them. Literally engaging in the aspect that when you walk by the same homeless person that you see on the way to work or on the way to school every day, that you're really concerned about how are you doing? You're not just simply giving a handout, but you are taking care and concern because they're a part of God's creation. You see, that requires a mindset mindset change, and it requires a shift from this aspect of the church just being someone who does a lot of things to the church being the people of God who are active in God's world. Do you see the difference? It requires us to change. So as we look at this notion that is presented here by Miss Evans, I want want us to understand that what would it look like in order for that type of church to be what we see here in Boston, Massachusetts? What would it look like for Mars Hill Fellowship Church to be that church? Where simply there's not just an outreach ministry, but literally each and every day of the week, you are considering yourself to be doing outreach wherever you may go. You might find yourself at the mall and you're saying, here's a perfect opportunity to share the glory of God. You don't have to wait till someone says, can you sign up on the sheet in order to do outreach? But every place that you go, you're looking for doors of opportunity to say, how can I be an ambassador for God? Wherever God may send me. You see, we have to ask this question when we look at the church and when we look at God's design for the church, how do we measure whether or not not God's church is successful? Do we measure the success of the church by the number of buildings that we have built? Do we measure the success of the church by how great the worship band sounds? Do we worship or measure the, the, the how successful a church by the giftedness of the preacher or teacher? Do we measure the church by the things that we get out of church? You see, I I think when we look at that, many of us have a consumer attitude towards church. And in that consumer attitude towards church, church is really about me and what I can get from church. But when we understand that we are the people of God who have been called out and called together, we recognize that we have a responsibility and what it looks like when the church is the one doing what God has created it to do. It is active and alive. It is an organism rather than just a place. It is an operation where people are coming together and doing and operating in God's work and in his mission. And in order to answer the question, what would it look like if God's church is successful? 
Why not ask the one who has created it? We've talked over these last three weeks about what it looks like when God's church is operating in the design that God has illustrated in scripture. And the scriptures have given us these various illustrations of what it means to be a healthy church. Uh, The first one that we talked about is that the church is the analogy of the church as Christ's bride. And as Christ's bride, this analogy is that the church is married to Christ. And as Christ's bride, it is without spot or wrinkle. Uh, if, if you turn from Galatians to Ephesians chapter number five, let's just look in five and 27. And you see here what uh, Christ has said about his church. It says, and to present her, referring to the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you see that imagery? That when the church is successful, it is Christ's bride. It's without stain or wrinkle, and it's like that way because God has come in and he has transformed the people who came in dirty, messed up, with a whole lot of issues. And Christ comes in and transforms their life. And so you got people who used to be out on the street doing craziness and God brings them into the church and uses them for great things. You have people who may have been out there and they may have been successful in their academic or their business adventures. But then God brings them into the body of Christ and they become transformed for his glory. And so we see this first analogy that we talked about, that the church is Christ's bride. Another analogy that we saw is the church as a unified body. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, 15 through 16, you see here, it says, For the whole, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. When Christ says that the church is like a body, what he is saying is that it's like how your body functions and operates. And what he says there is that there is not a a, a inconsequential part of your body. Every part of the body is is is, has a function and a purpose that it it entails. Uh, And in, in this design, what Christ is saying is that here that when the body of Christ comes together, there is not one person who is insignificant in the body of Christ. You may be a doorkeeper or you may be singing up here on the worship team. You may be uh, operating the soundboard or the multimedia, or you may simply just put envelopes on the chair. You may be someone who greets at the door, or you may be someone who just simply cleans up the room after everything is done. But whatever you are doing, you're an important part of the body of Christ. And this analogy, he says, as each part does its work. So guess what? There's something in each and every one of you that God has said it's a part of the church becoming and operating in that way where it's not just a place that we come to, but it is the true church of God, that there's something that you have to contribute in order for us to accomplish what God has designed. So when you withhold your gift, guess what? You're not only withholding your gift, you're also affecting the rest of the body. And some of you are saying, well, I don't know if my gift is good enough. We'll put it into practice and it'll get good. You know how you know how I got good preaching? Guess what? 
I had to get up. Well, I, I first started off in the shower. I had shower ministry and I, I had sermons in the shower. And, and, and that was my first place of getting good. And I, and I got enough confidence to get out of the shower. And I moved on to uh, 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 my bedroom ministry. And, and, and I'm, I'm preaching in the bedroom. And Pastor O has to listen to me, you know, preach sermons. And then she's like, OK, praise God. And, and, and so I moved on from that. But I, I had to sit there. And one of the hardest things for me to do was listening to myself. When we started the radio broadcast, it was excruciating. I had to listen to myself and I had to go back and edit every little um and ah and everything. And so when I'm up here in my mind, I'm replaying, oh, I'm going to have to edit that out. I'm going to have to edit that out. And all these things are running through my mind. But now I've gotten to the point where guess what? I don't even care. I'll just say whatever I'll say and I'll know whatever that will happen. People, y'all will still love me. We'll still have Mars Hill Fellowship Church. And I just got to do what God has called me to do. But if I never took the step of faith, then I would have withheld my gift. And there are others of you who are out there today that you're wondering, how can I be a part of the church functioning and doing what it's being called to do? And the greatest part is finding a way to get involved and be active in the body and be a part where it's a unified body that we're together. We're on one accord. And this unity is centered around the fact that we are celebrating the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed all of us. We come from different walks of life. We come from different ethnicities, racial backgrounds. We come from a myriad of different things and places. But what unifies all of us is that there was a savior who died on the cross for each and every one of us. And if there's blood flowing through your veins, guess what? He died for you and for me. And while you're still alive, we've got something in common that we can celebrate. And what's God and it's what God has done for us. Amen. So it's unified. There's another analogy, as we see for the church, and it's this analogy that the church is the light of the world. And in Matthew chapter five, uh, it's a very familiar passage. But in Matthew chapter five, uh, Jesus is given what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And on the Sermon on the Mount, he's explaining a number of different concepts. And this concept that he says here in Matthew chapter five, verse number 14, it says, you are. Uh, uh, Sorry, let me back up a little bit. In verse number 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now, I know some of you, when you read that scripture, you think you are the one light. Uh, You are the only light. You're like the night light that lights up the whole room. You're the center of attention. He was not talking about you individually. He was talking about you collectively, you, the body of Christ, you, the people of God. And he says, you are the what? Light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, Read on. Let's see what it says. It says it cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its own stand, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Do you see what analogy they're saying here? He's saying when you look at the church, He's, uh, well, well, let's look at the, the analogy first. He says, people do not light a light and then put a bowl over it just for the light to be covered. Let me, let me extrapolate or explain. 
God doesn't call you out of darkness just so you can come together, do your shout, go on. Jordan sings again. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus Messiah. Oh, wonderful. And then you just are insulated into this world. He redeems you so that you can be a light to what? The whole world, a city on a hill, a beacon. And so you see this imagery that what God is calling us to do is more than simply just gathering together and having a grand old time. He's calling us to bear fruit in the world. And at the end of the day, we have to see that God desires that as we are planted and rooted, as we're watered by the word of God, as we're transformed into maturity, it's not good enough that simply each and every one of us here transforms, but it does not affect the world that we live in. Do you understand that? Because if we, comp- if we operate in that way, we have not accomplished what God has designed his church for to be an agent of transformation, not only within the four walls of the church, but also outside of those four walls. Because as transformed people go out into the places where he sent us, guess what? It gives light to everyone in the house. So if we're seeing that there's a whole lot of lights, uh, houses that don't have light, guess what's the problem? Those who've been lit and who have the light, haven't gone to where they've been sent. They haven't become beacons in the places where God is sending them. This notion and understanding that not only are we transformed into maturity, but we are truly blossoming and blooming to a lost and a dying world. The church must transform the redeemed of the Lord, but it must also transform and reproduce the love and the kingdom of God to those who are lost. So my question to you is what are you sowing? What seeds are you sowing and where are you sowing them? We saw this here in Galatians and it says that do not be deceived whatsoever a man sows that shall he also reap. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from that uh, spirit will reap eternal life. And so in this main text, what we begin to see is that how we are sowing is going to affect whether or not we become the church that transforms not only in the body of Christ and the household of faith, but also transform the culture. And one of the things that is so devastating to me is that the church in this 21st century age has lost its relevancy to the dying world. Do you realize that the church is considered a joke by many people? That the people of God are considered nothing but another Fox News snippet that they can play and say, look at those Christians and look at what they're doing. The reality is that God designed us to impact, not to just sit as the laughing stock and not connecting with the culture and the world that is outside of there. What are you sowing? What are you doing? You see, what happens is that if we treat the body of Christ and God's people as an optional addition to our lives, then we can expect that from what we've sown into the body of Christ, that which we will also receive, meaning that church will just be another part of our busy, complicated life. Uh, uh, Savon, if you can help me, let's show the first picture of what it looks like when we have the me-centered church, me-centered 
Christianity and me-centered church or me-centered life. We got a whole lot of things that we have to consider. I mean, some of you can identify with this. We got the workplace. What do we do in the workplace? We have school for those of you who are in school. We got to deal with our friends and family. We have to deal with our home or apartment. We have to deal with managing finances. We have needs. Those of you who have children, needs of children, hobbies, entertainment, community meetings, socializing with coworkers, educational goals. And so we have all these different aspects of life. And at the center of it is me. We determine what we're going to do based upon what do I feel like doing. And so you know what happens when Pastor Joseph comes and teaches a message about what it means to be the church, we go to the next slide and what we begin to see is we have this issue where now we have to figure out how do we integrate the body of Christ into the rest of my me-centered life. And so it just becomes another thing that we have to do. It just becomes another activity that, oh, man, they want me to come to Bible study. They want me to do this. They want me to do that. They want me to be on the setup team. Oh, man. And and some of you may actually genuinely want to do, oh, man, I really want to be at service. I really want to do these different things. But you're trying to figure out how do I fit this into all of these other things that I have to deal with. But the kingdom center life is recognizing that what happens is that it's not about us being at the center of these things. It's recognizing that God and being the head of the body of Christ and our role as part of the body of Christ forms the center of everything that we do. And out of that, we begin to prioritize and adjust and reprioritize all these different aspects of life, not based upon the fact what will get me ahead, but based on the fact how will this affect the kingdom of God and God getting the glory out of my life? We reprioritize. We reshift things so that God would get the glory. And so one of the challenges is that we have to recognize that if we are sowing into the me-centered life, guess what? The church will be just another part of the me-centered life. You'll come in, you'll do your dance, you'll give your offering, you'll go out, and you'll be the same. But when we operate and look that we're a part of the body of Christ and look at our role in that, what begins to happen is that we sow to please the Spirit. Verse 8b says, the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, Uh, uh, Go back to that picture for a moment here, because I want you to understand something. To sow, to please Christ and to please the spirit takes hard work. And the challenge that many of us find is that it ta- when it takes work, we'd rather do the easy thing, which is, hey, if I live the me centered life, then I don't have to worry about anybody else determining my decisions. I just do whatever feels good to me. And the only way that you make a decision to live the kingdom centered life is not because of the fact that you just wake up one day and say, you know, I'm going to live for the glory of God. I'm going to be an ambassador on my job. I'm going to outreach wherever I may go. I'm going to share the good news of Christ as I talk to my friends. I'm going to love up on people who may be less fortunate than me. I'm going to come to church and actually hug three people when Pastor Joseph says hug three people. I'm going. I mean, you don't do those things simply because you wake up one day and have an epiphany. But you know what happens? You come in the first week, you're like, man, why I got to, you know, hug three people? Did they wash their hands? I got to have put hand sanitizer after I'm done shaking all these hands. I mean, you know, all the things that have to go on. And, and some of us in our minds, we're thinking those things. Some of you have verbalized those things. But some of you, you're dealing with these situations and you're saying, oh, man, Pastor Joseph is just trying to get everybody all up in everybody's business. 
But then as you begin to hear the word of God, you begin to hear, hey, that's not just someone who's across the room. That's my brother and sister in Christ. And so what begins to happen is that your mindset begins to become changed. And as your mindset begins to become changed, what happens is that you don't just do things. You're transformed. You begin to look and say, hey, that's Nicole. Man, oh, my goodness. She's an awesome woman of God. I want to get to know more about her. I want to know more about what's going on in her life. And so as you become transformed, you make an active choice to sow the right seeds in order to become the church. Not because you're just doing it out of your own desires, but because you're doing it because God has transformed your heart. I, I, I realize that if the church is really going to fulfill its mission, it's not going to be because everybody wakes up and decides, hey, I want to feed the hungry out in Brookline and, and greater Boston. It's not going to be because, you know, somebody just wakes up and say, you know, what? I just want to give away money. I just got a whole lot of money just sitting at home and I just want to bring it and just give it away. If that's your case, come see me after service. We'll, we'll talk. And I got I got a special plan for you and we can we can work that out. But what I do realize is that when your heart is transformed and when God begins to transform your heart, your mindset and the way that you do things, guess what? You see, when you come and have the opportunity to give, you don't see it as, oh, man, that's the giving part of service. You see it as that's the opportunity to worship God through giving of my gifts, because I know it's going to be a blessing to have the church be active in doing what God has called it to do. When you see the opportunity that we're greeting one another, you see it, man, that's an awesome time because I'm going to get to meet some other brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm excited about being able to see other people who are like minded, who are precious believers in the family of God. And so you begin to change your mindset. But here we see in verse number uh, eight, and then also as you look in verse number 10, it says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. And then he says this in verse number 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to who? To all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The first thing I want us to see, the next thing I want us to see here is that it called the Bible calls us as the church, as the people of God to do good. Let us do good. And, and, and this word here that is used is agathos. And it means to do something that is useful or beneficial. And in a parallel passage in Matthew 7, the, Jesus begins to talk about the fact that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. He says, how much will I, your heavenly uh, father, give good gifts to those who ask? And so in this passage, we see that he says we're to do good. And part of the mission of the church is that we are to do good. And he says doing this good is that recognizing that we are called to do things that are useful and beneficial. But these useful or beneficial things are not just for those who are part of the elect, those who are part of the priesthood of believers. But he says to do it to all people. What does that mean? is that we have to recognize what does it mean or how can we do good, something useful or beneficial to all of those who we come into contact with on a daily basis. 
Doing good is not simply just giving money. Doing good is recognizing and whatever I'm doing, is it helping that person reach their full potential in God? Am I helping the person that I see on the street reach their full potential in God? Am I helping the person who might be less fortunate than me reach their full potential in God? Am I helping the person who's sitting next to me in this room reach their full potential in God? He says, let us do good to all people. And we're helping them to get to their ultimate purpose or reality. But you need to see that this dichotomy that is placed here, he says, do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We should be generous with sowing into the lives, especially first starting with those who are in the household of faith. You know, it's a shame that we come to church and some of us may not even know the names of three people outside of our circle. We may not know what's going on in the lives of others who may be around us. But he says here that the church was meant to be the household of God. It was meant to be a family of believers. It was meant to be people who were united. And so it it means that when we have time after service, that not only are we trying to serve you nice treats that you will enjoy, but part of the opportunity of what we're trying to get you to do is to get involved in one another's life. Not so we can go and gossip. Ooh. Did you hear what happened to Danielle last week? But no, so that as we begin to learn and see what's going on in their life, Danielle may say, hey, I have this need in my life and uh, I've been struggling in this area. And then begin to say, you know what? I have this resource or I know someone or here's a way or maybe I don't have anything. But you know what? I'm going to keep that lifted up in prayer for you this week. It's a household of faith, a family of believers. And he says that we are to do good. We're to do that which is useful and beneficial to those who are in the household of faith. But lest we forget that we are just only going to come in and be nice to people that look like us, people that believe like us and people who worship the same way that we worship. The scriptures here in Galatians says we're to do good to all people. What does that mean? It means that when we are committed to God, It's a commitment to his people and also to all of his creation. And whether they're repentant or unrepentant, they're still part of God's creation. And so what one of these things that I ask is that what are you sowing not only into the body of Christ, into your brothers and sisters that you see here in the family, in the household of God. But what are you sowing into those who are outside of the household of God? Because the only way that they become a part of the family of faith is that someone says, I'm going to sow time. I'm going to sow love. I'm going to sow my service. I'm going to sow my care and concern into your life. Even when you're saying right now, I don't want nothing to deal with you. Somebody made a decision that I'm going to make an investment. Somebody made a decision to say, well, I won't just, you know, I'm not going to just get on my protective gloves and say, "Ooh, you sinner. Ooh, I can't touch you. But somebody will say, you know what? I'll get down in the dirty with you. I'll spend some time and, and I know that you're going through this life situation and, and let's take, take some time and maybe you're mad at God or maybe something happened and maybe you're just wondering, Lord, are you really there? And you'll spend the time and say, you know what? It's all right that you have questions. It's all right that maybe you don't know what it, like, what it means like to come to church. And you know what I had to realize is that as a pastor, I, I, I don't cuss, but I got to get used to, you know, sometimes some people will drop some things. Now I'll correct them to say, hey, that's not necessarily how we, we talk, but you know, I I got to be, you know, I got to be able to be able to, you know, be tough enough. (laughs) 
<laughs> some of y'all, somebody say something, you fall out, you start falling about he blah, 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 in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood over you, and, 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 and you're just ready to go in a conniption. But hey, build a relationship with them. Maybe they don't know any better. Maybe they never had anyone who sat and spent time to talk with them and say, hey, God created you for more than that. When I look at this dying world, we've created such a me versus them that the church has only looked at the rest of the world as our adversary and our enemy. But God's design for the church was never that the world would be the adversary or the enemy. We have one true enemy. It's just that the world has been blinded by that true enemy. And if we can go into people and begin to walk in their lives, guess what? We can be like LASIK surgery. We can open their eyes, help them get their eyes open to see that our God is good. There are people who are blind in every place that you go. It's amazing when you begin to open your eyes and see, wow, there are a lot of blind people walking around. They're blinded by the lust of the world. They're blinded by the lust of the flesh. They're blinded, blinded, uh, they're blinded by the pride of life. And you see them each and every day in each and every place that you go. And many of us, we're just lead, letting the blind just go along and just say, oh, yeah, come on, keep on walking. You see dangers right there. But God has called us to be a light to them. And, 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 you know, I, I, when I think about this is that we often talk about in the church, when we talk about revival, we often talk about revival looks like when we have a 10 hour service, people are falling out and everybody's here at the front of the altar and everybody's weeping and, and there's crying out and everything else. And that, that's a part of what revival will look like. But revival will look like when Brookline begins to become transformed by the glory of the gospel, of the glory of God. And that when you begin to see that there are people who are homeless in the streets, and they're proclaiming even the glory of God and say, oh, I might be out on here on this street, but my God is good. And when we begin to see that these cities and nations are being transformed, when we begin to see that even in our legislature and in our spheres and arenas, we begin to see transformation taking place. That's when revival truly is happening. Not just when in the four walls of the church, we see this change and we get excited about what all God is doing. But when those four walls begin to come down and the transformation that happens in us, begins to change the world that we're living in. What would it look like if instead of at a hand's length, we fed, we wrote checks, we did things, but instead we got involved. We became the beacon of light. We began to carry the good news of the gospel with us wherever we go. I said that, you know what, you don't need to quote a thousand scriptures in order to be a beacon of light. Some people just need to see you humble yourself. Some of you just need to serve someone with no intention, nothing, no expectation. I just want to serve you. Christ came not to be served, but to be a servant. What would that look like if true revival would break out? So that as we got the excitement that we come in here and we say, indescribable, wonderful, you know, that, that, that excitement transformed into how we lived out our life on a daily basis. What are you sowing into God's creation? Are you simply just sowing your seeds to those who are the proper, redeemed, saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, 
read their Bible three times a day. They pray. They sing songs unto God. Every moment there's just a hymn on their lips and they just worship God. They're just such wonderful people. Or are you spending time sowing into those who don't know a hymn? Those who all they know is the lyrics to the latest rap song. And all they know is that I'm trying to survive life. But they're looking for a savior. And God has called you to reach to them. You see, the best part of this process of sowing and reaping You see, when we sow to the flesh, we sow to please the sinful nature. We'll from that nature reap destruction. But he says the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. And so he says, as we have the opportunity, let us do good or meaning what? Let us sow good. Let us place into those, into all people what is useful or beneficial. And let us sow that. Let us take time. And the way that's going to happen is that we have to be transformed because there are going to be times when people who are part of the world and even people who are part of the church will guess what interrupt you but you've got to be available for divine interruptions where God can interrupt your schedule interrupt your things and allow you to say I'm going to spend the time to sow these good seeds because I know that it is sowing to please the spirit and from that I will reap the blessing and the benefit of what God has brought into my life but here you must understand and in verse number nine it puts it in great context as we wrap this up and close today Verse nine, it says, let us not become what? Weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You see, when we are the church, we reap the harvest of God's best in this life and in the life to come. And what we need to understand is that a harvest is not always the instantaneous changing or transformation, but it is a harvest that has spent time being planted and watered and nurtured. And as time goes on, you begin to see that you have a harvest coming in. And as the harvest comes in, it comes from hard work and doing the work that God has called us to do. I believe that the reason why the church is not being an agent of transformation, not only within the four walls of the church, but outside of the four walls of the church is because the church is lazy. As soon as someone says the wrong thing to us, as soon as someone is difficult to deal with, guess what we do? We give up. We become weary. But here the scripture says, let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in sowing that which is beneficial or useful for our brothers and sisters. Let us not get weary. When you invited that person to church and they said they would come for the last three weeks, with every moment they text you that, oh man, I overslept. Let us not get weary in sharing the good news with them. Don't send people to hell. Give them the truth and help them see the light. Let us not grow weary in doing good. But he makes this promise, he says, for at the proper time, we will what? We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I think one of the greatest blessings to know that as we do the work that God has called the church to do, the promise that is associated with it is that there will always be a harvest. 
a harvest looks more than just the exciting things that we can think about. But the harvest is truly that we become the radiant church, the radiant people of God. We're in revival, transforming lives and hearts for the glory of God. What happens is the harvest is souls are transformed for the glory of God. Those who were heading on their way to a place of damnation now have been rescued to life for the glory of God. What does it look like when you see someone who is destitute, strung out, and someone spends time investing in them, and you see that they now come to their full potential? For me as a pastor, one of the most exciting things that I can see is, we, is when people accomplish and reach their full potential in God. I get excited when people do what God has called them to do. And I'm not just talking about within the four walls of the church, but I get excited when people have been called to sing that God opens up doors for them to use their gift of singing. I get excited when people have been called to be doctors, get their match day, and on match day, they, they get called to a hospital and they're going to be on assignment and residency at this particular hospital. I, I get excited when God calls people out of the MBAs and he calls them into the uh, operation and to help in managing the finances and the resources of companies. I get excited about when people accomplish their full potential in God, and I get excited because I begin to see, wow. If they're operating at their full potential in God, guess what? The church is at work because they're doing their part that God has designed for the people of God. And so when someone begins to get it, when someone begins to click in and say, hey, man, I get it. I see that I'm called to be a part of the body of God. I'm called to be a part of the household of faith. And so I'll make an investment to be planted, to be rooted here in the body of Christ. But I'm not just going to stop there. I'm not just going to stop with the fact that, I, oh man, I have a lot of exciting friends at Mars Hill Fellowship Church, but I realize that I've been sent out to be a light to a dying world. Some of you will be here in the Boston area for only for a short period of time. Some of you, you thought you were going to be here for only a short period of time, but God is keeping you here. Don't, don't rebuke the prophecy. That's just, just, we got people who will testify. They tried to be like Jonah and God brought them back. Some of you are just smiling and say, oh, Pastor Joseph, I can't stand you. (laughs) Whether your season is short or long, don't see it as just, man, I'm wasting time. See it that you are here for a specific purpose that God has destined you for. Even if you feel that you're called to go to somewhere warmer. You ain't called, though. Don't worry about that. (laughs) You called right here (laughs) to Massachusetts. You can come into Boston, but that's that's as far as you're moving. (laughs) But see every day and every opportunity to not only be individually transformed, but to transform the places where God sends you. The church is alive and active and thriving. Revival is happening when the people of God are active at the table, sharing the artichoke dip, double dipping with unrepentant sinners, with those who don't know the light of the glory of God. And we say, hey, 
Let's be friends. I want to share with you the good news. Amen? Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, as we have looked at what it means to be the church. Lord, I recognize that it's so easy to approach our concept of the church as simply another place to come, another thing to do, another responsibility to manage, another weekly commitment, another appointment that we have. But Lord, that was never your design for it. Father, I thank you, first of all, for Lord creating us as a church, as a family of God. I thank you that, Lord, you've called us to do good, even especially to those who are in the household of faith. Lord, it breaks my heart as I hear in churches and in local assemblies and local bodies all throughout this world when I hear of those who are fighting with their brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are gossiping about one another, those who are slandering one another. Because, Lord, you said for us to do good, that which is beneficial unto them. And, Father, that we should sow to please the Spirit. And so, Father, help us, each and every one of us, in our own individual ways, to go beyond just what is comfortable in doing good to the household of faith. Lord, I recognize that sometimes in the body of Christ, especially here at Mars Hill Fellowship Church, Lord, that uh, we're challenged to do things that are outside of our comfort zones from whether, you know, I may, Lord, call people out of their comfort zone or I may challenge people to walk in the calling that you placed into them. Lord, I recognize that it is difficult at times because sometimes we don't want to go beyond that comfortable place. But Father, I realize that if we're going to operate in the way that you designed the church to operate, we're going to have to release what's just comfortable to me, what's just convenient for me, and really to have our hearts and our minds transformed for the glory of God. But Father, help us not to stop simply at the place where we only do good to those who are like us, But Father, we would learn what it looks like to be a light, to be a beacon to a dark and a dying world. Father, I pray even this morning because there are some people who are here this morning who, Lord, you're even speaking to in the midst of this time and in this gathering. Lord, people that you're bringing to their mind even right now, that you've called them to walk with them, to be a light to them. Lord, you said no one lights a light in order to put it under a bowl. And in the same way, we recognize that you've not called us to be the church, even this local assembly here, Mars Hill Fellowship Church, and only simply come together and get excited, leave out and then walk by. Lord, those who are dying, those who are hungry, those who are in the midst of challenging situations out here on the streets, in our families, in the places that we encounter each and every day. Lord, would you open our hearts? to bleed with the things that break your heart. Lord, I'm asking even this morning that we would have a transformation as the people of God. Lord, for so many times where we've been so consumed with just what we can do for one another. 
Lord, help us to be consumed with all of your creation. Lord, those who may be walking in rebellion to, Lord, the truth that you've revealed. Father, I thank you for those who you're going to call to sow good seeds into their lives, to serve them and to love them and to walk with them, Lord, even in a place where it might be difficult. Father, change our hearts. Transform our minds. Help us, oh God, that we would not be the same. Lord, I pray that even after this message and after this series, we would not go back to being the same. We would not just go and Lord, simply do church as usual business. But we would find how each and every one of us can do our part in being a part of the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to your people, for revealing your heart, and for opening doors for the kingdom of God to be advanced. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name. there are some of you who may have heard this message and in the recent tragedy of uh, the Trevon Martin case and the call to action as many people have rallied in support of this young man who lost his life for a seemingly senseless reason the cry of the hearts has been not only would we get outraged when something of national attention comes, but that we would take action in the things that we see around us, that we would be the change that we want to see. In the same way I sense that even as I've shared this message today and throughout this series of what it means to be the church, that some of you are challenged to say, how can I be a part? How can I find my parts? How do I know where I fit in? And I want to just say, if you're at that place and you're wondering, how can I fit in? Where can I be at? What can I do? I'd like you just after service, come talk to me. We want to get you plugged in. Because I'll say it like this. You're part of the body. And if you're part of the body, you're essential to the body functioning and operating the way that God has designed. Whatever place that God has for you, don't just leave it dormant, saying someone else will do it. But get active. Become a part of the body of Christ. And you'll begin to see how God will transform your heart. And not only will he transform your heart, but he'll transform every place that he sends you to. Musicians, I'm looking forward to see the day. As you're at the award shows, as you're writing 
music and film scores. I'm looking to see the day that people around you are gonna be transformed, even musically. I, I, I'm believing God that there is going to be a level of musical creativity that only God can download into your spirit. And others will come to you and say, how do you come up with these things? It sounds so sweet. And, and, and they may say it in words that you're used to. Oh man, that, ooh, that was sweet. <laughs> what they're really saying is how did you get such a gift? Don't forget, it's God who has downloaded that into you. And when he gives you the opportunity, always give glory and honor back to him. There's teachers in this room who you're wondering, man, every day I'm going in and going out and just saying, man, whoo, these kids are something special. But you're impacting lives even at a young and early age for the glory of God. Never neglect what you're doing for the glory of God. So our medical professionals, you're saving lives, but know you're doing it by the grace of God that has called you to do that. Those of you working in the workplace, you may see it as just, oh man, I'm behind a desk on a computer. You're doing more than that. You're becoming an agent of God's transformation. Some of you might work in the mall. You might work in retail and say, man, I'm just, I'm just trying to sell some more clothes. I'm trying to get a commission. <laughs> Don't see it as that. See it that you're using an opportunity through the love that you share to be able to touch and to interact with a dying world. So you might deal with that person that leaves 50 things that they just tried on in the back room, in the fitting room, and you might have to be the one who has to put them all back on the rack. But just smile while you do it. Say, thank you so much for trying on all those clothes. Is this something I can help you purchase today? Do it for the glory of God. No matter where you're at, do it for his glory. Amen? Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and give God glory and honor. Amen? Hallelujah. 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 God is good. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, let me say,